I can I can hide in my you know my my cannabinoid American you know shell and have you know didn't come out of the cannabis closet for a very long time. But the more the more people like me who treat it that way in a professional manner and are upstanding citizens, quote unquote, and go to work every day, the better it is. So live by example. Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Beverly Grove edition. Today we talk with Adam Shorn, a reporter for the L.A. Times who used to write about men's fashion and mustaches. Now he writes about weed and weed-infused drinks. He and his wife, journalist Booth Moore, live in Beverly Grove, which is so close to the Grove that Adam and Booth walk over there all the time. Adam and I talk about traveling to Europe for fashion shows, vaporizers, and the folly of naming your plants. So everybody, let's welcome Adam Shorn. Hey everybody, I am here in Adam Shorn and Booth Moore's beautiful home in Carthay Circle. Actually, it's Beverly Grove. Beverly Grove, we're in a new neighborhood. Beverly Grove. Beverly Grove, which you can remember because it's between the Beverly Center and the Grove, but that's not really why it got its name, but that's an easy way to remember it. Except you're more west of both of those places, right? Uh, no, we, we walked, yeah, we're west of the Grove, but no, the Beverly Center is about is a this, mile. Is a straight shot? a mile walk. No, you go up to third. Yep. So we're on, you know, yeah, not far away. How long have you lived in Beverly Grove? Uh, since December of 2006, a couple days before Christmas. So right before we met each other, that's true. That is true. Uh, we, uh, you and I worked to, with each other at uh, the Los Angeles Times at the old building. Okay. At that time, you had you had a very interesting situation with your wife. In that, was she your boss? She, when I was hired, she was the founding one of the founding editors of the image section at the Los Angeles Times, and. Everyone thought that I was getting a free pass to get the job, but it actually took like five times as many interviews. And then even once I was hired, I reported, they made it very clear in the announcement that I'd be reporting to Michaeline Busico and not to to Booth Moore. And so that was, but we had worked together, Booth and I had worked together. I had hired her as a reporter at a tiny little newspaper in Vermont um, years before that. Where you had met uh, we had met in Vermont. Her parents used to be customers at my parents' country store. Oh, so, come on. Yeah. And then years later, when I was the editor of the Manchester Journal uh, with two and a half reporters, uh, Booth was hired as one of those half reporters. Mm-hmm. And that was our meet cute. Just just general reporting? Yeah. It was it was a lot what we call refrigerator journalism. Like a lot of, uh, you know, your kid was, your kid grew the biggest pumpkin. <laughs> so you cut it out and put it on the fridge. There was lots of... Um, there, there was lots of uh, planning and zoning stuff, and so Booth and I, when we when we first started dating, we would go out and we would call it site analysis because one day we were out at the bar and we looked over and one of the guys from the planning commission was taking photographs of a play, of a site that was being developed and he was doing site analysis. So that was the uh, so code. You guys were smooching even when. You were her, her boss. When I was her boss. Yeah, that's that's a bad look. I know. It's but okay. It is and it isn't. Aren't most relationships formed in the workplace? They, they were until the internet, I think. But yeah, yes. yeah. And um, and you're you're you guys are the shining example that yeah. not only can it work out, but it can work out even when one person is the boss of the other. Well, technically, no. Remember, technically, she was not but, my boss. But, but back then, you, yeah. you were her boss. You hired her. Yes, that's true. Correct. So that worked yeah. out. So uh, who got the job in L.A. first? Booth. Well. 
we moved out here. She was always, her parents had a house in Vermont, about nine miles from where my parents' house was. And we had a little country store, the Wayside Country Store. And her parents used to come in. In fact, when she first knew of me, I have a brother named Al. And there was, my dad's name was Doug. And so there was Son of Doug and Funny Son of Doug. And I was Funny Son of Doug. And when Booth and I started dating, she had to tell her sister, I'm dating Funny Son of Doug. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I was the editor of the, of the um, Manchester Journal in Manchester. And Booth had graduated from college and was staying at her parents' house in Vermont, trying to figure out what, what she wanted to do sort of as a, like, regrouping and was going to move to, out to L.A., and that was always her plan. That was always her plan. And then she started working. Uh, she applied for a job. And so she was there for about six months. We started, you know, we started dating. And then she was like, well, I'm, I'm moving to California. And I looked at the situation. I said, well, I can stay here and maybe make $10 an hour someday. Or I can take a chance and get in a car with a beautiful blonde and move across the country to a place that I'd only been once before. And that's what I did. And that was 25 or 26 years ago. Try to do the math. 98? 95 or 96, I think. Okay. We, we waited until my nephew was born and left. So um, got in the car and left and drove across country. Had you guys lived together in Vermont? Not really. So this was the first time you moved in together. Do you remember where you landed in LA? Yes. We lived in, we lived in West Hollywood. Booth had come out uh, first to find a place. And then we shipped like 15 boxes of stuff out um, by UPS and she found an apartment on Larrabee Street in West Hollywood. And we lived on the same floor, a couple doors down, from Angeline. No! And my favorite Angeline story is that when you first... You know in um, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, when Eddie Murphy's walking down the street for the first time, it's a long shot, and he walks past two guys. And I think it was like gay guys or something. They had these weird outfits on. And it's just this shot of him like looking back and just doubling over in laughter because it's just so foreign to him. Yeah. We walked past Angeline on our, on the, our floor that we lived on. And we were like, huh? What? We, we had no idea. Cause and she looked we, exactly like the billboard. And then we saw the billboards and that. So, and she had two of those pink Corvettes. Oh. And one of them was parked two cars over from mine. And the reason why I'm telling you this is that we came home one 4th of July from a wonderful day at the beach. And I was like, there are fire engines on Larrabee. There are fire engines outside of our building. A weird stalker fan had lit that second Corvette on fire. Mama mia. And my convertible, my little Volkswagen convertible melted in on itself. Mm. So I was a casualty of a uh, of weird stalker <laughs> fan. So... Let's get to how you both became fashion journalists. It's all her. So she, as you've met my wife, you know how stylish she is. Yes. And she's... Well, you're, you're no... Uh, I learned it. I, I, I studied at her knee. So she started out working at the Los Angeles Times. So she was there for 18 years before she left in 2015. She just comes to town and ends up working at the LA Times? She, she got a job. She got a job doing the calendar listings. And in fact... And then she did SoCal Confidential, which was kind of her column. Okay, That's- but still, like Guns N' Roses in uh, Welcome to the Jungle, that video where Axel just comes off of the bus, the Greyhound bus, and looks around, just like what you're talking about with uh, Eddie Murphy and Angeline. She just applies for the LA Times and gets she, a job? She had worked for uh, a columnist at the Washington Post uh, one year, 
And I think he knew, like maybe Sherry Stern at the Los Angeles Times. To, and you know, like anything else, what you make the introduction and then it's like, you either have the skills or you don't. Yeah. And so... We're, we're hearing a cat. That, that citrus, I thought maybe citrus Hi, was citrus. Um, and so that was... But first she worked for... Um, Tiger Beat was it Tiger Beat? Beat? <laughs> she she was one of the first American journalists to interview the Spice Girls, and we have a we have a photo of Booth with the Spice Girls like when they first came to the U.S. Wow! And so it in was, in all their gear, just yeah them. Like I mean, they weren't all up in all their gear yet. They were just just cute girls, just cute girls. Wow! So and Booth reminded Victoria Beckham. Of okay, that so so there was a few steps in between the Vermont yeah. where you were working at, right? The Vermont newspaper and. The greatest newspaper. Booth, Booth knew what she wanted to do, came out here, and I, I guess she had started to talk about that job, hadn't gotten it. She was doing that. I got a weird game show question writing gig. For, for what game show? So it was called, it was called Maj- uh, Majority Rules, and it was <laughs> DreamWorks SKG's first ever show. Uh-huh. Like right when they, after they formed. First TV show. First, yep. And it was actually on the air in Arizona and New Orleans. And <laughs> and we had applied. I know exactly where it is on Melrose. There was a pole hanging with Heather's little things. Do you want to be in the audience? And we ripped the thing off. And we went. And it was like, you know, if you're Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune, you can bust people in from Idaho and Iowa all day to sit there and clap like a trained seal. Yeah. If you're a new show, you need to do something. And so they paid you $40 for the whole day. And we sat there because we were, like, trying to find jobs. And clapped like train seals. And the next day, I had written the number down. I accidentally called it when I thought I was calling somewhere else. I got chatting with the audience person. She was like, oh, you're from Vermont? She goes, so-and-so is from Vermont. Put me in touch with someone who put me in touch with the executive producer who said, you've been here. You've seen what the show looks like. Write me some sample questions. And I did. And I go in to talk to him. And I see a picture of this guy with Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen on stage. I was like, oh. So I did that. That was I, that was the luck. That was a luck thing. But, okay, yes. There's a lot of luck that happens yeah. in L.A. But there's also a lot of opportunity. This doesn't happen in Vermont. Your luck in Vermont was the beautiful blonde said, okay, I'll make out with my boss. Right, right, right. right, <laughs> right. But I feel like these kind of opportunities are still happening in L.A. Yeah, I, I've always said that. If I could give any advice to anyone about coming to L.A., I would say try to find something to do because this is a big – It was a big. there's a big pipe that sucks up all the talent and all the work. You just need to find a way to tread water at the mouth of that intake pipe long enough. You know, you can't just come out here and be like, okay, I've got a month's worth of stuff. You know, so I've had friends who have stayed I, – I will give them – like, sure, your kid has graduated from college, you know, wants to come out okay, a month. I'll give you a month in my guest house. After that, I, you need to have found a place, but I've done that. And the, the, they're working people in in Los Angeles. So you just need to be able to tread water a little bit. And so, yeah, there was a lot of luck, but there was some talent and skill on her behalf. And then I applied for the job at the LA Times. Which job? The When they launched the image section. Oh, Which, so you came in as a fashion writer. I came in as a fashion writer because, <laughs> well, I had... <laughs> It seemed like it was such a straight line, but it's not really because Booth was in the was in the fashion writing space, and so we moved in these circles. And Rose Apodaca, who was worked with Michaeline and Booth to launch the image section, was the West Coast editor of Women's Wear Daily, oh. which was was at the time just down here 
on Wilshire Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And Rose said one day, they're looking for an editor, a West Coast editor for DNR, which was the men's version of Women's Wear Daily. There's an industry publication. Frankly, reading a an issue of it was like it was like reading the label on a library paste. It was just like <laughs> what? But it was really good because it was sales and square footage, and you get on sales call, you'd get on calls and listen to them talk about. You know, I, I covered the surf industry, and I covered you know like Levi Strauss and Vans and all that. So it was a really good like grounding thing, and I did that for just short of three years, and then they were launching the image section. And I applied to, for a job to do that. And so I started covering menswear for the LA Times in 2017. Now, uh, those of us who are more cynical may have looked at the image section as, well, this is just a great way for the LA Times to get full-page ads from these big designers and brands and fill it in with a couple stories. Be- because your competition... Women's World Daily, Vogue, all these other places are just ginormous. And Image was never larger than maybe even 12 pages, right? Mm, I think maybe at, at one point, I, gosh, it was so long since there was a the standalone uh, section. Mm-hmm. But it grew it grew slowly. And I think maybe we did a couple of 20-page sections. Right. But it was like a standalone section. And then it was wrapped in and it was wrapped out and standalone. But yeah, it was never, it wasn't like the New York Times styles section. Right. But... but you, the things you guys covered, you were able to pay attention to because you didn't have 100 pages to fill. And what I loved about working with you there was you handled men's fashion like a regular man would. You right. know, for example, I could relate. Right, right. No, and I, I feel, I, I often felt that that was because I didn't, unlike my wife, whose shadow I were talking about her like, as if she's here, um, always had loved fashion from the time she was a little girl. She defines herself through fashion. She loves it. To me, I grew up in Vermont where you've got one plaid shirt and one pair of jeans and you're done. <laughs> and to, you know, So it was never really a thing. And so I even had friends later on that were like, you know, it, you don't mind me saying it's odd that you're covering fashion. Like, no, but, but I also could cover it in a way I wasn't afraid to ask a question. What's an ampere waist? I don't know. Look it up in the Fairchild Dictionary of Fashion and you learn. And so I learned and I learned from Booth the formula of covering a show and you know what the designer's inspiration is and you say that and then you say and that was translated on the runway to blank and you know it's like any it's like covering any other thing right and that's the way i, I treat it and yep. if you were to if you were if you were throwing it if you'd fall in love with a, a female sports writer you would have covered the dodgers the same way exactly and i didn't i since i'm not a sports guy i probably would have learned a lot yeah yeah so, um, so here's you and Booth at the LA Times. She's not your well. Okay, uh, Michael Lena wasn't there forever. No, no. I think she was only there for a couple of years before. I I don't know. But then Booth takes over. So yeah, there was always and she's your boss. There was always someone like level, and they always yeah. I I if you're trying to like gotcha. No, I there no, was no no no. I'm not gotching. What I'm saying is. I admire the fact that a married couple could work together in harmony. I I heard a lot of drama going on in that building because I was lucky enough to work with every desk. I never heard drama yeah. with you guys. Yeah. No, and, and that was the, the writing, uh, and this is something that Booth always says, and I agree with it, the, the writing itself is a very solitary thing. Because mm-hmm. people are always like, they, they scratch their head, and they go, like, how in the world can you work with your spouse? I'm like, well, you married them. 
So you're together for a reason, right? And I mean, we started out, we started out working together. Mm-hmm. We started out working together at the Manchester Journal. And like, I could say that I assigned her stories, but she came up with her own stories and did, you know, <laughs> and, and while I always reported to someone else at the Los Angeles Times, Booth drove the coverage of the image section. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it is great because we each, we both have our own in-house, like, you know, one of us will be like, I need to solve this with some funny. I'm like, you know, what about this last season? So we, we are, we're used to working together. So, and at the end of the day, if I'm counting pennies, which they sure were when I was there, I mean, it was bankrupt the whole time I was there. If I'm going to send two people to Milan, how great is it that they are going to bunk together in the same room? Yeah. So here's the thing. We, they saved money on New York fashion week because I would cover the men's and she would cover the women's, but, but yeah, they, they did. There was some synergy and some savings. And I always thought that they should have made more hay with the, like the couple that covered fashion together, but totally. Yeah. I remember there were some rules at the LA times about what we could take and what we couldn't take from the people we were covering. Um, and the times was very conservative. They didn't really want you to take anything, but I would imagine at a place like that, they would invite the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the LA Times maybe to a fancy dinner. Is that acceptable? So the rule, last time I checked, I think the rule is n- anything of value more than $25, you're not supposed to accept. Right. Um, if it's, yeah. So, but see, here's the thing. They would, there would always be these meals. And it's funny, if you work in the food section, you are not supposed to take, you're supposed to pay for every single meal. No one... I mean, you would go a lot of, the, it, mostly it would be, you know, at the Masoni show, there'd be a big wheel of Parmesan and Negronis like before or after the show. This was the first time, first time I ever had a Negroni was at the Masoni show <laughs> in Milan. And, but yeah, no, you, you're not supposed to take anything. I, I imagine hors d'oeuvres are, are kosher. That's fine. It, but it but if, half the man I am today. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. But if a designer says, Adam, let me take you to this fancy place. You have to say no, huh? Or, or you say, or you say, I'm. I gotta pay. I gotta pay. Right. So, you know, for the for this for a story, you, you and I, when we reconnected the first time in person, was at um, Nostalgia, right? Yeah. That was having that PAX event. Yeah. I went back with one of the writers from the food section. We're working on a story now. Went to the Secret Supper Club. That's a two hundred ninety-five dollar meal, oh. and we had to be very clear at the beginning. Send us a bill. Send us an invoice. You can track. So no, I and I take that very seriously. That it the appearance of impropriety yes. is you don't want anyone to think you're on the take. And when I was in the fashion space, like luckily because of my size and shape, it wasn't like anybody would offer to dress me, right? Because I'm kind of okay, like, for those of you who are only gonna listen to the podcast, will you will you describe your size and shape? Uh, I'm a bowling pin. <laughs> essentially. That is not how I would no, have no, described no, you. No, I am a I am I am more I'm, well, we're part of the bald brotherhood. Yep, yep. I have I have very little hair on my head. Uh, I am, you know, I'm five eleven and a half. My wife laughs at the half, but I, you know, I'm well in the two thirty uh, range weight wise. So I'm I'm a stocky I'm a stocky guy. I, you would not look at me and say fashion plate right away. I do wear you know a stylish pair of LA Iwerks glasses. But, yeah. So you used to cover the mustache. And oh, was it my, the mustache and beard? The world beard and mustache champion. Yes. That was in, my first, that was my first big LA time. One of my first big memorable LA times trips. Was very memorable. Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. And that was, that was the other cool part about it. 
It's way the hell up in Alaska. Well, it's it's in a different. It's it's an international competition. Oh. Every two years in a different place, and this was only the second time that it had ever been held in the United States. And <laughs> why did they pick and, Alaska? Yeah. Well, you would not believe how much hair there is in Alaska. And I did a profile. I think it was. I think it may technically have been my first column one story. Mm-hmm. I wrote about Jack Passion, the whiskered the, the whiskered wizard of Walnut Creek, who had won the full beard natural. Walnut Creek, California. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so I went up to Walnut Creek and I interviewed him, and he had won, and it was like the first time I think that the that and the full beard natural means you just let it grow, you don't trim, you don't style, you don't groom. No plucking. No plucking. And uh, yeah, so. I was like really into the facial hair thing for a while. Let's talk about weed. Yes, let's talk about weed. Because now you are the editor of Cannabis and Other Substances. I'm making up a title. Well, my what, so, what's your what's your real title? So my official title, still, even though I've pivoted away from fashion for like the last, I would say, definitely since January of this year, but more in the last since the pandemic. If you look into the LA Times records, I'm still listed as assistant editor, comma fashion. My mm-hmm. outward facing title is senior features writer because it's really confusing if my byline was like, you know, fashion writer or whatever, and I'm yeah. writing about cannabis, and so. But that's officially my title. Yeah. But I don't, I don't cover fashion, really. I, no, it's that's moved elsewhere, and cannabis is my thing. But in a pinch, if they need you to write about fashion, you're you're there. I'm there. I I, right. I serve at the at the request of you know. I will write. I will write fortune cookie fortunes. I will write. <laughs> I will write snarky, you know, anything. I, I will write it. Um. But it sounds like the pandemic and the closing of these shows helped helped your pitch for for weed. Well, right, because if you'll remember, right when things happened a year, uh, two years ago, that was when they decided that uh, dispensaries were an essential business. Wasn't that crazy? Yeah, right. I mean, it's great, but yeah. it's kind of crazy. No, I, I mean, keying back into the medical the medical thing that which is how it started in California. Yeah. So you can be cynical if you want. I and I am, but but. It allowed me, you know, I wrote some other, I remember one of the early pandemic stories I wrote was about um, the rise in sex toys. I do not remember that one. It was, it was uh, like vibrators and other sex toys and in, including, maybe this will be the first time your podcast has the word teledildonics. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is re, uh, remote controlled from afar. So it's like Bluetooth. You know, you could have one person, one place, one person, the other. And yeah. I've, I've seen those in action. I, I have not. The cam girls use them. Okay. Oh, right, 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 right. When you tip them, they get a little vibration. Oh. You learn something new every day. Uh, let, me, let me ask you, though. You say, you say you've been... It sounds like you've been pitching that the time should be seriously writing about weed for a while. Yes. And if you look back, I wrote, I've written one or two things back when Pineapple Express first came out. That was way back when. That was one of my first, I'm like, look, it's moving mainstream. And I, and I actually wrote, uh, it was a cover story of Image about that. But I felt very strongly, and yes, so I would have a memo that I would take out and dust off with every new editor and every new you know, features editor and circulate around saying, this is how I think we can, um, how we can cover it in a way that's unique. So are you in the union or not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I had no, 
I had no no uh, downline reports that reported to me. That's kind of that's kind of mm. cut off. Yeah. Which would be a shame. I would I would love you to be my boss. Yeah. I mean, you I might... am a union steward, howsoever. You, are you? Yes. How about very, that? Very proud. One I of... had a good joke that you stepped on. I'm sorry. Let's try it again. Okay. I would love for you to be my boss, even if you kissed me and made me move um, on the other side of the country. I would follow you across the country. <laughs> <laughs> In your pitches, did you ever use the Steve Lopez column where he got high and drove around a closed track. Do you remember that article at all? I, I actually don't. I, I bring it up because I feel like the LA Times often surprises me with its weed coverage. Even, even not, yours, yours excluded. In that, I feel like it treats it right. That it, I mean, obviously Steve Lopez always has a tongue in his cheek on his non-homeless type stories. Yeah. But... That is the way that you prove to the average guy out there. Not that the subscribers of the LA Times are average, but that's how you teach 60-year-old affluent people who subscribe to the LA Times that, that the weed of today isn't the, the boogeyman that they might think it is or that has been projected from don't say no to all these other people and that you don't have to be Snoop Dogg to be able to know how to have a career and be high at the same time. And and so I'm curious when you were pitching these earlier ideas, what the feedback was. And and, and if it was no, there was no, there was no feedback. It, it, it would just I would I would send it I would send it upline and maybe maybe once or twice in all the years, three or four years I was doing it, I would get a yeah we'll talk about this, or I'll talk to so and so about it. But no, they it just, they didn't take you seriously. Yeah. So what? What do you I, think? Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how they took it. I, I don't know. I can't. I, I won't say that. But I never got. I never got a okay. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, a couple times, people were like, "If you want to cover cannabis, you should move into the metro section." And I was like, "No, I want to cover it. I want to cover it from the features side." The we have plenty of people who write metro stories and you know things about the raids on on mm-hmm. pot growers up north. I that's. I come from the feature side. I want to, you know, I, I I want to treat it in a non-stigmatized way that it should be treated like every other thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Also, that's a cop out of theirs. Just let's just move it to the the real news. That way, that way, if there's any criticism, oh my God, the LA Times yeah. is treating weed yeah. like like anything else. Yeah. Uh, you, they could say, oh no no no, we're talking about the laws. We're talking to congressmen and cops. So. I think it's. I think that it only really got traction when my immediate upline editors were also enthusiastic about the coverage, and who knows? Maybe I, again, I don't want to put. I don't want to ascribe. You know, my reporter skills. I don't want to ascribe any motive to anyone that doesn't exist. All I know is that the thing when things got moving for me, one was the pandemic, and two was having editors that were advocates as go-betweens between me and upper management. Mm-hmm. So whether or not upper management likes it or doesn't like it, I, I don't know. I, or wants it or doesn't want it. I would assume that if they really didn't want it, the kind of coverage that I was writing, that the word would come down from on high. It seems like they love it. Because yeah. I see full page front covers of your coverage and other people's coverage. I see it being treated 
like I would want it to be treated as something A, that's legal, B, has never killed anybody. So what the heck? Um, if anything, I want more critical coverage of things like why isn't it easy for Los Angelinos to just go to a park and smoke it or go to a private club and smoke it? As far as I know, and you're the expert, there's only one private place that you can smoke weed right now. So, And it's in WeHo, right? West Hollywood has permitted a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original Cannabis Cafe, that was the Lowell Cafe, was opened briefly before the pandemic, closed during the pandemic. The Artist Tree, which I wrote about, is open. There are two or three others that are winding their way through the permitting process. Mm-hmm. But when I wrote about that one, I wanted to make sure that there, weren't, there wasn't one in Los Angeles County somewhere because the headline on it was the only weed bar in L.A. And I just I want to make sure there wasn't some place, some tiny little place that got a permit. Yeah. And... The Department of Cannabis Regulation, whatever the city one is, I get the acronyms all confused, Yeah, wrote back and said there are no permitted places in Los Angeles. Let's talk about that real quick. L.A. is the second largest city in the world, or the country. We are the world. Um, what's the holdup? And by the way, I heard that uh, Kat Packer, who was the weed czar of L.A., has stepped down. I don't know if it was really her fault or maybe just the red tape of L.A. that drove her nuts. But why do you think it's taken so long for L.A. to get it together about this? So my understanding, and again, I haven't done this is second or third hand. I'm very cognizant about like not doing my own reporting. You know, if I haven't done my own reporting, but everyone I've talked to, because I did a big story about social equity dispensaries, mm. is that everyone seemed to feel that the city had its program because it had to have a program. Mm-hmm. not because they really were, you know, and, and that goes back to like my coverage. I'm, I'm writing about cannabis in a way that I'm, I, I don't want it to be stigmatized. And I just think that they had to do it because it was, you know, the laws have changed. We have to do it, but then we, do we have to really, maybe we don't have to fund it or, or maybe it wasn't a high enough priority, but I heard that there was just, it was very difficult with the staffing and everything, but that's just what I've heard. I haven't done any reporting myself. You know me, Tony. I would go down there with my little narrow notepad and my pen, and I would ask the questions. So, do you really bring the narrow notepad with you? Oh, you do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that little thing. It's right thing. in there on my desk. I love that thing. And I carry uh, a Fisher Space Pen <laughs> with me. It writes underwater and upside down. How about that? Yeah. How, how much one of those things cost? I don't know. I mean, I've had it for... It's, it's never run out of ink. And you, you can write over ink blots. You can write in zero gravity. If I'm in zero gravity... Well, you're, 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 you're echoing what my heart says, which is none of these people really wanted it. None of these governments want it. Maybe West Hollywood's the only government that actually is okay with it, which is why they have it. But even that is suspicious to me because they seem to not push back on liquor. Um, maybe gun stores they push back a little bit. But here's this thing that they know does not cause a problem. So one of the really interesting things about California is, is, you know, we kind of are in the L.A. bubble. You forget because L.A. has said yes that it's local control. So the state state passed Prop 64, gave local control. I just saw a statistic. I'm not going to get it right, if I, so I'm not even going to quote it, about the vast majority of the state where cannabis is not, there, there is no permit process to allow these stores, mm-hmm. including, and so Planet 13 
which opened in, it was Anaheim, technically, is it technically in Anaheim? I forget, I, almost a year ago, was the first one in Orange County, because Orange County said no, but the individual cities could say yes, and... Santa Ana, maybe. Santa Ana, yes, thank yeah. you. I, I was getting... And so, once, when it was opening, I talked to the mayor there, and the mayor said, we did it, we did it as a way of, of combating the illegal dispensaries. Right. But now that they were opening this huge dispensary, other cities in Orange County were looking at it for the revenue, which brings me to, I took a class the University of Vermont, my alma mater. I got, uh, I was a cannabis media fellow. The Vermont? University of Vermont. But but what's your what's your nickname? The oh, Huskies? The Green, the Green Mountains. Oh, the Catamounts. The Catamounts. <laughs> and uh, I used to, the the mascot used to be my roommate. And <laughs> and so I have somewhere a photograph of Charlie Catamount sucking a bong. Really? Yeah, somewhere. What's a Catamount? It's, it's a, like a mountain lion. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and I... And we had a guest speaker in that. So I took this cannabis plant biology class now all these decades after I graduated from University of Vermont. And somebody asked, what state is doing, is doing the cannabis, legal cannabis right, and what state is doing it wrong? And of course, he looked at, pointed to California as a state that's doing it wrong. Colorado, he said, is doing it right because they, get, they gave a measure of local control. But you know what they said? What's that? They said, you, it's well within your right to, to not permit these businesses but you cannot share in the revenue. Oh. And, and I don't mean to pressure you. I don't mean to corner you or sure. anything like that. You're one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. And if anybody's going to write about my beloved weed, I'm glad it's you. What do you think is the root of the obstinance of these local governments? Do you think it's, it, it's their beliefs about the demonization of weed? I think it's the generational thing. And I think I was just watching on CNN last night, Don Lemon was having a conversation with a Texas state, uh, Texas state lawmaker who was an out gay man. This state lawmaker said, I firmly believe what Harvey Milk said about the more gay people, you know, that, and I don't remember the rest of the quote, but that's the way I feel about cannabis, not to ride herd. And, uh, you know, the gay rights thing, totally different. I can I can hide in my, you know my my cannabinoid American you know shell and have you know didn't come out of the cannabis closet for a very long time. But <laughs> the more the more people like me, who are cannabis consuming people who aren't you know have their ass macrame to the couch, eating Cheetos. So okay, you you have the stone of the Cheech and Chong stereotype, and you've got you know the more people like me who treat it that way in a professional manner and are upstanding citizens, quote unquote, and go to work every day, the better it is. So live by example. Well, so that that's one side of it to, to sort of convert the higher ups to allow what, what has already been voted on. But the second part is the people. I feel like the people overwhelmingly, Americans, are in favor of this. Yes, yes. So who the heck are the local governments trying to protect? If the people want this, and we've seen from Colorado, the, the most extreme example in the U.S., and we've now seen from Canada, the most ex extreme northern uh, North American country, the world doesn't end when you allow yeah, so people to smoke weed. I don't know. But see, 
the pendulum swings because it, what's happening, Oklahoma, the, the abortion thing got tougher. And now Oklahoma is a really interesting thing because we, we just were there doing a, um, we did a video for the Green Room series and it's like one of the most conservative states, but yet it allowed medical marijuana. So, so it's a pendulum swing. And I think, I don't know, I don't know the root of why. All I know is that my parents' tune changed on cannabis when they knew that their son smoked cannabis. Oh, really? They warmed up to it? Yeah. Because they saw that you didn't, it didn't ruin your life. You were able to hold your job. You didn't do anything crazy. You didn't enter porn. <laughs> Why did you got to bring that up? Because I did. Re-enter porn. You're right, right. Um, no, I, did you know I was a porn writer? I, I wrote, that was one of my in-between jobs. Get out of here. You know, I, I wrote, for Playboy's Naughty Amateur Home Videos, I wrote the interstitials. That was one of my in-between jobs when I came out. I thought you were, I thought you were, you were poking me. My, my, my admiration for you has, has risen. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and it was basically, Playboy's Naughty Amateur Home Videos was, they would, ostensibly it was a send in, they would send in videos of themselves, but it was always stuff from like the, the house, you know, and my job was to write a, um, like the interstitials, there was two women and a guy and they were in an underground bunker. <laughs> and I had to write like some thing that was on theme, but that by the end, they would all be having sex. It was kind of, it was soft core kind of thing. <laughs> so the first one was, I used my game show writing. It was uh, around the world in 80 lays. And they had to, they had to, um, they were entering a geography bee because they wanted to earn enough money to go on a um, nudist cruise. I will play the devil advocate for just a minute here, which is rare. Devil doesn't need any help. The one issue that I do have with legal cannabis is edibles. And what I've heard by talking to nurses uh, in my apartment complex, there's a nurse, and just other people who are reasonable, is with edibles, especially young people, but even people our age, when we go to the, the dispensary, and we see this baggie of brightly colored, weird candies, um, fun-looking weird candies. We eat too much. I have eaten too much. And, um, and sometimes when you eat too much, you go to the ER. And what I heard was ER visits for overdosing on uh, edibles skyrocketed uh, any time that a state would legalize the stuff. And it makes sense. We're not used to it. It's it's better weed than we've ever had. It's better concentrates than ever. And they taste delicious, finally. Because when we were in college, we'd make these bad pot brownies. And um, have you heard of all this stuff before? Yeah, that's called Maureen Dowding. Because Maureen Dowd went to Colorado when cannabis was first legal. And she got a brownie at a dispensary. And she ate some of the brownie. Didn't feel anything. Ate some of the brownie. Didn't feel anything. Ate some of the brownie, ended up in near cannabis psychosis on the bed. And you, you know, I always say, and this goes to the education, you can always take more, you can't take less. And something that I learned only after I started covering the cannabis industry is you could be a class A Olympic smoker. Yeah. 
be able to smoke your body weight in Iowa road weed, but when you eat it, it metabolizes. Did you know this? Metabolizes. It's when you smoke it, you combust it. It's um, delta nine THC. When you eat it, it metabolizes through the liver, and it's delta eleven. So it's it's similar, but you you can affect you completely differently. So hmm. you can be a class A smoker, and then you feel like a wet bag of sand. So and and the length of time that it takes to kick in, and people people want it to be. You know, they want to have the same effect of like when I smoke off a joint, I know it hits me. Mm -hmm. But now there's a nano emulsification, which means, and and I just talked to a guy for a a story about um, drinks because weed drinks usually taste nasty. Yeah. But we did a taste testing to taste better ones. At EBTS, the Elite Beverage Tasting Squad, and we all (laughs) tasted, we tasted 17. But this guy, Scott Rickett of Rickett Brewing Company, said... Described and it was great. Once once I find a really good way of explaining something, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow it. He said, usually because they're fat soluble, the THC is fat soluble, which is why most of the time they're not gonna say or, or is fat, yeah they're it's fatty, and so you can't it doesn't really mix in with with most like li- with liquids, so the key is to make the particles really small. And he said usually. A THC molecule getting into your bloodstream is like throwing a soccer ball at a chain link fence. Nano emulsification makes them so small it's like throwing a handful of sand at a chain link fence. Mm. And the light bulb went on. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. So so that is the onset time now is 10 to 15 minutes with the with the smaller particles. And in fact, when the artist tree opened, they made it a point of of finding edibles that had a quicker onset time because they didn't want people to be there and eat the edibles and then at the end of their hour and a half be like, oh, okay. Right. And then have it hit them later. So, yeah, it's a really big problem. Part of it is, you know, advances in making it get into your system quicker, but also you kind of have to be educated. Kind of like, yeah. like, like anything else, like driving a car. It, you got you to gotta learn. It's, yes, that happens. People aren't used to edibles, but you got to learn if you're going to do it. Are you a fan of edibles? I wasn't until I started writing. I, I had never, because I was scared. I think I might have done. You were scared of what happened to me. Well, I was scared of, of it happening to me because it's like Russian roulette. And I'm very impulsive. And I'm very <laughs> like, I want it now, you know, with the yeah. feeling. It's not a um, it's not a social, like if you're having a bunch of people together, I'm a very social person. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I would sit around and pass a bowl of, of gummies because it just doesn't, right? But the very one of the very first stories... After after recreational cannabis in California, I wrote something for the food section about chocolate bars, and I tried a bunch of different chocolate bars. And there was one called Défoncé, which is the French word for uh, stoned, I think. <laughs> and it is like Scharfenberger level chocolate. Mm. And oh, it's still delicious. You can't stop eating it. Well, that's that's the problem is that you eat it, and then even if you wait. You get the munchies. And we were, we were supposed to go to Palm Springs the next day, my wife, my sister-in-law, and I. And I woke up in the morning. And I'm like, oh, no. My eyes like burnt holes in a blanket. I'm like, I just, and I'm not going to drive. I'm not going to drive. You know, and so I got in the back seat. My wife said, I woke up two hours later. I was in Palm Springs. She said, you giggled like a baby the entire time. And so goo, cooing and Googling, googling, cooing to myself. Let's go back to that PAX uh, event that we had. Okay. I the only reason I went to that thing, and I was upfront with the the publicist. I said I'm not really writing for anybody right now. Um, yeah, I had written about uh, can beverage 
for Los Angelino. And mm -hmm. I think that's how I got on their list. Um, and I said, I'm not writing for anybody right now. And as a matter of fact, I'm in a tough spot about smoking because I've been coughing in the morning, like a terrible hack in the morning. And I don't even really inhale much. I just feel like at my age and after 30 years of whatever, I've hit, I've hit a wall. Yeah. And she's like, well, that's what this is. Pax is a vapor device and it's easier on your lungs and you really should try it. And it's okay if you don't want to write about it, please come. And so I'm so glad that she was cool about that. And I'm so glad. That's that Zoe, Zoe Wilder. Zoe Wilder. One of the first PR people I met in the cannabis space. Is, it, is she really? Yep. yep Thank I you, Zoe. Dinner. Thank you because it worked. I've been using this PAX era, which I think is like 50 bucks uh, for the battery part, and then 30 to 40 bucks for the concentrate. Don't cough. Yeah, so... And I get the high that I want to have, the, 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 the traditional high. And it hits you when, when it's supposed to. It's, it's cleaner. It doesn't smell like weed yeah, in your house. You should bring that up because I am, I am actually working on a clean weed story right now that involves... Packs being the big player to get into the, to, into the, that the um, the live rosin. Thing. Yeah. But Packs was is the big name in dry herb vaporizers, and so my that story is not done yet either. But I spoke to a doctor, Doctor Peter Grinspoon, who happens to be the son of Doctor Lester Grinspoon, the famous famous in the weed space. Is he? Yeah. The the, the late Lester Grinspoon. Peter Grinspoon, because I know my editors are going to say, if I'm talking about the clean weed movement, they're going to say, well, does that mean my regular weed is dirty or bad? And he is a doctor. And he said his first suggestion would be the, safe, the, the least harmful to your body of cannabis consumption would be edibles. Right. No doctor, he said, no doctor is going to tell you that it's okay, is going to recommend that you inhale. Right. But if you're going to inhale... A dryer vaporizer would be the second best because it heats the it heats the cannabis to release the THC and doesn't combust the because you're you're burning you're burning all the biomass that's right. in there when you smoke. And so so Pax is most famous for for its dryer vaporizers. The Pax two and now the Pax three. Pax three, which you can which has a little insert I guess that you can use concentrates, which don't get me started on concentrates. Uh, I won't. Um, Pax three is like three hundred bucks now. Yeah, I think. Which, which also kind of put me off. I was like, Jesus. That's a, there's a big, there's this big movement in, like, Puffco just came out with this new um, concentrate thing, and it looks like a pipe. It looks like a Sherlock Holmes pipe. Yeah. And it's for, you know, what people are using the Puffco Peak for. Right. With things that look like it's out of Star Trek. The, the Puffco Peak looks like a traditional bong. Yeah, it's kind of like more angular. It's, got, well, it's angular. It, but, but it's modern. Yeah. It's modern. Yeah. And that too is expensive. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is all these things, you're like, and the bead, the Nespresso machine of weed that I wrote about, all these things are about like 300 bucks. Right. And it's like, do you need, do you need any of these $300 things? Probably not. But it just shows where, what cannabis consumer these people are looking to attract. Right. So. And I mean, my argument is uh, you you recently on uh, the green room did a thing about uh, the Moda bongs and these beautiful glass bongs and the the craftsmen who make it and all that kind of thing. Um, we cheap out when we go to the head shop, but 
Some of our bonks have been with us forever. It goes back to the, it's kind of the same conversation that you were having a couple of podcasts ago about who makes your disco pants right. and your t-shirts. And yeah, just because you can buy an $11 shirt and the markup on that. So I'm going to pull that forward and say, I think one, a lot of people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I said in the story that accompanied that video is I've had plenty of bonks in my life and I never, I never thought about who made them at all. Right. And and they they created that company, that brand, to draw attention to that. And now I can't help but think, who made it? And shouldn't they be earning a living wage? And again, like I'm blessed enough to be in a place where I can think about paying t- for an expensive... I mean, the bongs are... See, the thing is, those bongs are all the same price as these other bongs because everyone thinks these other bongs are made in the U.S. You know, so round and round <laughs> it goes. Um but if it's good, you're going to have it for a long time. And and if it's and 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 by the way, Mr. Shorn, when I was in college, an eighth of weed cost more than it does today. It's the only thing in my life that's gone down in even price. Even with taxes? <laughs> oh yeah, we paid a lot of taxes to that guy at the corner. No, no, no. No, even with a uh, we I remember writing an article in college saying don't pay $40 for an eighth. Because if it's a black market, and if we all do this together, then people will know in Santa Barbara you can't get away with forty dollars eights. Because yeah. I remember some great thirty-five dollars eights back then. You can get thirty-five dollars eights today in some places in LA. Not le- maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, do do you ask? I actually recommend you ask. Check CA pot check to see. If okay, well, I'll put it. I'll put it a step further. You've got a beautiful house here. You could grow it here. It'd be free. I have. I've grown two plants. Have you really? Yeah. I have. Was it's, it was it easy or was it hard? It's easy to grow. It was hard to smoke, as what I said, because I accidentally named it. I named <laughs> my plant, and I grew up in Vermont. And they're like, you have your you have your pet animals, and you got your food animals, and you never name the food animals. And I made the mistake of naming it. Did you did you play around with that Pax era that they gave you? Yeah. Oh yeah. What surprised me about okay, first of all, I find I kind of feel bad that you and I were bonding and catching up, and I wasn't paying attention to those chefs and the people who actually made those concentrates, because what I did garner from them was they take a lot of time making sure that this is clean and it is healthy, and the way that they make so, it isn't butane and all this other stuff, because you can taste it; it tastes good. And, and there's very few experiences of inhaling things in my body that actually taste good, like no question about it. Let's talk real quick about celebrities. Okay. You have smoking weed with... So David Crosby, we got, not was, bad, right? And so he taught me how to roll a joint. And, not bad. Yeah. Did you grow up loving his music? I, I grew up in a country and western household. Oh, but I, so so both kinds of music. Yeah, country and western. <laughs> but obviously, like from the time I was fifteen, I you know was obviously aware of. So know, were you a little nervous being? I was super nervous. Yeah, because the guys in the video team had put together this for the green room video and. He was going to teach me how to roll a joint because he has the column in Rolling Stone and all that. And uh, I just, I always, I think I'm a good writer. I don't think I'm a very good interviewer. Really? Yeah, I just, because because by the time I get done doing all the research, 
I already know the answers, so why am I going to ask you? But part of it's to ask you to get you to say it, Well, because right? people surprise you, though, yeah. right? And so, and we talked about, it was funny, because so many places picked up the story because I had asked him about, because the Beatles, he was the go-to for the Beatles when they came to the U.S. And he did this, until John said, you know, kind of thing. And it was just, it was just this funny, like, it was only a tiny little part of the interview, but like, Yahoo News or whatever picked it up. Um, Boomers are crazy yeah. about the Beatles. And uh, and he, he mostly prefers a PAX now. Does he? Yes. But because because it's easier, because it's easier on the lungs. Right. Right? And he's a singer. But he does like the PAX 3 with the flower. Yeah. Or the PAX 2 with the flower. Yeah, yeah the PAX 2 or 3 with the rose flower, yeah. Yeah. So, and then at the, the end. The flower from his backyard. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so that was great. So that was great. And then, as I as I told you earlier, for like two weeks, I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, I hope I didn't kill the Crosby." Because it was in September, before long before there was any vaccine sort of thing, and I was like, "Oh my god," because I will not, I will not live this down. That's infamy. Um, but like you said, it's not his time. It's, uh, you were nervous because you shared a joint together. Well, first I was nervous because of the interview, but that that went fine. And then and then that we just like it was just that snap decision that. Am I really going to be? Am I really going to pass up that attempt to someday on a podcast say, um, you know? Also, isn't it a little rude? Yes. Not to accept. Yes. True. And also, as a journalist, I feel like you got to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that. And you didn't. You didn't kill him. Nope. And he didn't kill me. So we're good. We're square. You smoked with Seth. So, uh, okay. My bucket list. I would love to smoke with Seth. I smoked next to Seth. Because um, because he was being careful. I interviewed him twice. Once when they he and Evan launched Evan Goldberg launched Houseplant. Yeah. And then a year later, when they they created the Houseplant House, which is w- sort of display all their wares and their ashtrays. And yeah. All that stuff. And and that was that was when we had the, now we now we have the video series. Mm-hmm. And so that was an opportunity to do that. We started with flour and uh, ashtrays that we designed. Um, we have new uh, tins on the way, which are a little easier to open because uh, these are, you know, uh, they're, they're, these are not they're the easiest to open yeah. tins in the world. This is going to be one of my questions about like what things you, you've learned. In yeah, that's one them, thing. Like, yeah, I mean, that's one thing we learned is like yeah. our tins were a little more difficult to open than people uh, liked. And uh, we talk, you know, uh, every week almost we have calls with... The dispensaries that actually sell our weed, and me and Evan yeah. will zoom with the bud tenders and the people yeah. who work there and yeah. people who own just them. Just encourage them to um, say something negative. We very much yeah. encourage really them to give us feedback. They, they were very like people love the weed; they're thrilled about it. It's a little harder to open than they would prefer, and and so we did that. But in general, because of that, it's been very positive. Yeah, we have a lot of these ashtray sets. It seemed to me that Seth was he stoned or was he bored. Has he given that tour too much, do you think? It, he didn't seem as excited about it as okay. you were. Well, yeah, because, see, he deals with a whole bunch of people like us all the time. Yeah. We deal with him, right? Once. He and Evan, and I always make it a point that it's the both of them, because I know that everybody's like, Seth, 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 and, you know, and there's the two of them. And they created, did you know, they, they created the, the name Pineapple Express. To, it was not a strain before really? they created it for, for the movie. I, I actually, I had to do a correction when I first wrote about it because they name all their strains after weather systems. And I said, like the, and and I actually, I, it was the best correction I ever had to write. I was like, <laughs> it was actually a strain name that they created for the movie. That that So anybody who says Pineapple Express existed before the movie, it's just not true. So, um, But when he came into the house, we were there setting up for the video. 
you could hear his laughter the minute he came in the back door like feet away and he's a very he's a very enthusiastic person i think his level of cannabis consumption is just different right. than the rest of us and you know i it was a great so it, if he if he seemed bored that that's my bad for not like that's not you know, your bad um, his but, energy level just seemed a little low. Like, I mean, if, if you made me do the same thing over and over, yeah. I'm just not going to be into it. Let's wrap up with your neighborhood. Oh, I love the neighborhood. What do you love about it? So it's called the Beverly Grove neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it existed until when we were looking for a house. And our agent was like, you know, we looked at a bunch of places. They weren't quite in our thing. And, and he was like, there's one house that just went on the market today. And he brought us over here. And we were the second people in the door. And my wife was like, they came, those people came here in a Mercedes. They're going to make an offer. And so we need to make an offer. So had never heard of it before. And it's bounded by... I think it's Crescent Heights, but it could be Fairfax. Mm-hmm. It could be Fairfax. Do you know Mapping LA? Do you have the Mapping Mapping LA time? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's basically, I think it's Crescent Heights to San Vicente on the west to, and I'm not quite sure, it might be Third Street or maybe Beverly mm-hmm. on the north and Wilshire on the south. And I am all about a sense of place. I love to give things names. Like I can't not, if you have a name tag, I cannot not say your name on a name tag names places and it's very close to LACMA Mm -hmm. and like four blocks from LACMA we live and there was a uh an exhibition about between the two world wars about how LA was like grew between the two world wars and there was a picture two framed black and white aerial photographs one was an aerial view of ostensibly of where LACMA is but not far from here, in 1920. And one taken from the exact, it was amazing how well they could position it, 1930. And the 1921, the 1920 version was, you could see Fairfax and Wilshire. And it looked at first like the rest was a field. Yeah. And then in the 1931, completely built out as if it was today. And it was so well matched up that I looked at the 1920 version I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm counting the houses on the 1930 version and going the same distance. I'm like, is that an airplane? So I went down the rabbit hole on this, and it turns out that in the 1920s, Charlie Chaplin's half-brother Sid built an airfield on the south side of Wilshire. Really? And... Then Cecil B. DeMille, who had an airfield up on Melrose, wasn't going to let that stand. So he built an airfield just about in Beverly, what, what's now Beverly Grove. Mm-hmm. And it was the first I went down. There are, there are on the internet, you can find ghost airfields and the coordinates. And I can't say it with 100% specificity because it's been a while, but... You, you find those coordinates and you put in the coordinates of where our house is. And I like to think that we were at the end or the beginning of CCB DeMille's airfield, oh. which for a couple of years between the time that it opened. And so our house was built in 1926. 
I went into the LA Times archives and could find the ads for selling the property, was the first airfield to deliver passenger, to fly passengers and mail out of Los Angeles. Wow. And it's like, it's, you know, and you can find all these pictures in the UCLA archives of like, you know, you'll see Fairfax and Wilshire and there'll be like an oil derrick and that kind of thing. So... When uh, you and your lovely wife want to take a stroll and have uh, a dinner in the neighborhood, do you do such a thing? Yes, we did a lot more. You know, we're trying to get back in our post-pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, out and about legs. Yeah. One, one of our, Where would you go? One of our favorite places, uh, Animal on uh, 3rd Street. It's, it's, the, it's the John and Vinny's guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so 3rd is really close to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking um, brunch heaven. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the great thing is that, it, and this neighborhood, Beverly Grove, has a ninety-seven percent walkability index. Um, <laughs> it's great because because we can walk over to we walk over to the Grove. Yep. In the original farmers market. Do you walk there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a half mile, and it's like it's that's so, all. It's so much easier than trying to navigate parking. Like, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't take the car there unless I need to load up furniture. Are you two uh, movie theater goers? Yeah. Yeah, I've got the AMC uh, uh, monthly pass. I just saw the uh, Buzz Lightyear movie yesterday. I think we saw. What did we just see? But 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 now that that's AMC, you guys could see three movies a, a week over there. I had not thought about that. We're on. We're into documentaries right now. We're just watching. We watch. We got back from Yosemite and we're watching Free Solo. We watched Free Solo. Wasn't that great? Crazy, huh? I was like, I wanted to Google and find out if the guy was alive or dead. I'm so just, glad it wasn't spoiled for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, so we would go up. Yeah, you could walk up to Third Street. Um, uh, so do you guys go to the Grove all the time since it's, yeah, it's that close? I mean, I mean, Farmer's Market is yeah, by itself. Yeah, is, like right? we go to um, Monsieur Marcel, mm-hmm. um, both to, to eat the, like the, the mule frite there. And it has... The mule frite? What's that? Moule, yeah, uh, mussels. Mussels and with fries. Oh. Mule frite, yeah. Oh, um, pardon. And... Uh, and they have, you know, I, that's where I got the charcut plate for the uh, Elite Beverage Tasting Squad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so go to the Grove, go the Grove, the Farmer's Market. Yep. All the time. Uh, yeah, Third Street. So we have... So you got a Whole Foods near you? Yeah, we have a we have a Whole Foods, again, right across the street from there. Did you go to the Britney Spears experience before? I did it, not. Had I known, had I known I that know. there's going to be all that, that actually was all painted and everything. Did yeah. it ever really open? I, I think maybe it opened for a week. Yeah. And for sure, the LA Times got to see a sneak yeah. preview. So, um, and then, um, yeah, and you can just, anything on Third Street. We, we do a lot, because I knew this was going to come about. Do the, you go to John and Vinny's? Or, uh, the, to Animal. We haven't been to Animal in a long time, but that's one of but, my. But John and Vinny's isn't that far away, though. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the stuff on Third Street. Uh, we we, we um, tend to, during the pandemic, we ordered out from uh, Bao Dim Sum. On, uh, because you're so close to the museums, do you find yourself at the museums often? Yes. We are members of both LACMA and the Academy Museum, which I included in my 10 most brain-bending places to get high, to be high in the city. So The, the, the upstairs dome area is what you're talking about? No, the, um, the, the round part that's on the inside of, you know, on the outside, it's that curved gold thing. On the inside, it's the several screens with the space travel. Oh, I, I haven't been in there yet. Okay, so that... And the Toy Story Zoetrope. So hold on. You're saying get get high. Get high. Buy a ticket. Buy a ticket. Go up into the old May Company circular golden yeah, thing, which is right on the corner of Wilshire yeah, and the corner Fairfax. Of Wilshire and Fairfax. And on the inside, 
I think it's on this. I think it's on the second floor. It might be the third. Is this round screen? It almost completely around you, and there's like three screens, and it's different. It's like different topics. From it'll be like aliens. It'll be space travel. It'll be you know all the way back to that first one with the Lumiere brothers, where the camera, where the where the rocket launches and hits the moon in the eye. Yeah. To like stuff that came out two years ago, and. You know, it so it kind of shows you what the different tropes are, and then there's the the Toy Story zoetrope, which is all the little what they call maquettes that it they're all there, and then they they start to swirl around and the blinking lights, and that's what animates them, and it shows the little guys jump. So, and you can just watch that thing all day. Let's let's wrap up with this very important question: Should venues like the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Let people bring in their vapes and get high in front of a place like that. I think that there should be that, first of all, the people who consume cannabis have a lot of disposable income because they're consuming cannabis. Like most people, you know, there are, you know, medical things, but which is why it gets back to the thing we were talking about, the $300 different things. It would be wise to... You know, you know how most places, it's weird because cigarette smoking is so bad for you, but they still have that little, they call it a smoker's pole, which is like its own double entente. But it's, um, <laughs> it's that skinny little thing where, you know, all the people who smoke cigarettes have to stand out there. Like it's got a real bad, like look to it, right? Like <laughs> it looks bad. It looks bad. And it doesn't look just, cool. Yeah. Cause and, part of smoking cigarettes is to look cool. Yeah. But, but to be grouped out there, like, yeah. uh, like you've been exiled. Right. right? And, and. Why not? Why not find a way, even if it's as something as simple as that? Yeah, to find a way to include cannabinoid Americans in, you know, in in your programming. I'm willing to go a step further. I'm willing to say because it is vapor, please. Oh, so you're saying not even allow like joints, but just be okay with it. Yeah, because you only need a few puffs. Yeah, and maybe maybe have a little signs like. Take it easy on the clouds, because that's another thing I like about the the, the Pax era. It doesn't produce a lot of clouds, so you don't yeah. have these showoffs out right. there trying to like make some right. statement. Right. Just get high and look at the zoetrope. Yeah, and by the way, you would move you you'd move so many bags of chips. I mean, right? You got to make right. money somewhere. Yeah, I I mean that's there's there are ways to include. <laughs> everybody wants to be included. Yes. Everybody wants to feel like they're accepted. And I mean, especially the Academy Museum. Who do you think goes to movies? High people. Who do you think makes them? High people. Who do you think acts in them? High people, especially <laughs> Seth Rogen. Here's another uh, con of smoking weed. It does sometimes for me ruin my energy level. So maybe I do want to write for an hour. And then I see my packs and I smoke. And all of a sudden, after 10 minutes, I just want to go to sleep. Does that happen to you? I do not work high. And I don't get high in the middle of the day. It is something, and this goes all the way back. Like, everyone talks about journalists. Like, oh, they keep a bottle of rum in the thing. And I'm like, I like to drink. I don't like to drink and work. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I, no, I don't. Because you know it's going to demotivate you, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, well, that, and I just, I mean, then it's like. 
Then I'm like, I'm trying to like lasso words, like, and they're just like all jumping around all wiggly piggly. It's like, there's no, there's, it's great. It's great to come up with ideas when yeah. you're high, when you're not on the clock. So but if you're going to, you know you, what? I also, I also, as much as I, I feel like I fight authority, I also feel like, like it just, there, it just, it makes me break out even thinking about it now. It makes me start to sweat. Like, oh my God, what if I was like super high and needed to, to do something? And like, even when I went to these events, I don't. I don't consume, if I'm working, I don't consume. If I'm consuming, I don't work. People at our event were saying, why, have you tasted it yet? And I was like, first of all, I'm driving yeah. home. I drove you home. Yep. And, but also you're trying to teach me stuff and I'm trying to be a good audience. Yeah. And this is clearly nobody else was on our level. Yeah. But I was, I felt the same way is, is I forget enough stuff as it is. Yeah. And so I want to understand. I drove all the way over here to learn. Let me learn for a minute. Yeah. I'll have plenty of time back home to fire up Disney Plus and, yeah. and see how good this stuff is. Yeah. So so you're the same way. The majority of the time that you are consuming is after hours. Is off the clock. Right. You know, the very the very few exceptions were the because I went back to nostalgia with one of the food writers and we're working on a story about the cannabis infused supper club. And that has its own arc. And then when we had, I had people over to um, test these beverages because there was no way I was going to test. Oh, crap. Now we got to talk about those. Okay. So I love can. Can I liked and I was surprised that I liked it because it's such a low THC um, component. But it did the trick. If, if I, I mean, even though I'm a pretty mellow dude, I get stressed out. And sometimes I don't want to be so high that I want to fall asleep and take a long nap. Can, I think, has like 3% or 5%? Two milligrams. Two milligrams. Yeah, the milligrams of, are really low. They call, they call it a social tonic because it's so, but it, But it was. Yeah. But I, I've noticed that they have backed away from that a little bit, and now they make 5-milligram version. Well, see, that's just it. And, and that's the difference between like wonder. Are you... Are you familiar? No. I, I wonder, W-U-N-W-U-N-D-E-R, they have um, like certain number of milligrams of THC and then Delta-8 THC, which is a whole other story, but <laughs> they have what they call higher vibes, which is a higher level, and then they have session, which like, and I never knew for a long time, what do you know a session beer is? It's lower alcohol, so you can drink more of them. Okay. So in that way, and I think to, to counter what we were talking about earlier about overdoing it, is that if you have the lower milligrams, you can drink one. Mm-hmm. If you're not thinking about it, you know, and you just happen to guzzle one without thinking about the milligrams. Yeah. And then you can be like, okay, natural stopping point, wait and see how it affects you. Yeah. You know, to, to sort of baby step. So, um, so my only issue with can is, um, I was going to a backyard party and I was like, what do I bring to this thing? And I was like, Oh, they sell can at the dispensary. But they're five bucks each. And for such a low milligram of weed, or whatever you want to call it, THC, I felt like that's kind of a ripoff. Should I not look at it that way? You should not look at it that way. Okay. That's, that's, actually the big, that's actually the big challenge in the cannabis space overall, is like when you go looking for a bottle of wine to bring to a party, do you go, what's the alcohol content and what's the price? Right? Yeah. yeah. Like that's... 
You don't do that. And it's like, if you wanted to maximize, you'd be bringing Mad Dog 2020, right? <laughs> or, or Everclear. Good point. Is, is that yep. you have to move away because we got, we're all hung up on the THC content. We are. You know, it's, it's not gasoline octane, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's one of the few places where True. it's like, whatever this percentage of stuff is, is important. I guess me. I was worried about what my friends, and my friends love me. They're not going to criticize me. But I was, I was nervous that they would drink it and be like, Okay, so I got a little buzz. It costs $5 for that buzz? So maybe again, I should teach them what you just said. I think you're projecting. Am I you projecting? Are, yeah, and you, and you don't want to be laughed at? or, or, well, or look, look at how I'm dressed. I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, that, is, that, is some, that is stylish. That is some, you got some fireworks. You got Abraham Lincoln with his sunnies. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, think, I think you need to be, you need to make the decision and then know enough about the product that you're bringing yeah. To be able to explain it. And that's why, are you familiar with the Drew Martin joints? They're no. a botanical infused pre-roll. And they, it's like, they mix cannabis with um, rose petals and mint. Yeah. Or chamomile and yerba mate or, or yerba buena. Mm-hmm. So it actually decreases the amount of cannabis in the joint. So it's more like like a session thing. And... They are actually it's a, and it's beautifully packaged. It's a wonderful taste. It's like one of the one of the few joints that my wife likes because she can she'll smoke it and she won't be like boom boom alcohol lights right. But they have this wonderful product, but they're battling the THC percentage mindset. So you just need to learn. You need to find something that you like that you want to bring and share. Mm-hmm. Learn about it, share it, and and. The whole thing is like, what affects you is different than what affects me. True. Like, but but I do like the can because it's mellow. For example, just last weekend we we were also at a party. Now we're all in our fifties. We're Gen X, and some of the people don't drink because they can't anymore. Yeah. Some of us don't drink because what good is two drinks? And and like, we're not making out at parties anymore. Like, yeah. what is the purpose of this? Yeah. And so most of us were just drinking pop. Yeah. And it was kind of cute. Like, we, we weren't, like, ribbing each other for it or anything like that. But I like Can because it gives me just enough of a buzz with no headache afterwards. And if somebody goes, well, Tony, why would you bring this five milligram thing and it costs $5? Say, that's the premium I pay for you not splashing through the pool like a moron. Right. Like, just throw, but, but, but also, sometimes just one hit off of a, of a joint will give me a headache. And who wants headaches? So, so this can thing was really good. Do you have an alternative to can that that you really like? Uh, I think one of the more unique ones. Are you familiar with Keef? Original Cola. It no. started in Boulder in 2010. Mm-hmm. Came to California in 2019. They have five core soda flavors, like a orange Kush. So they're like play on orange and thing. Or the original Cola. It's like, and we did these by taste. This yeah. is by taste, and. It's got a punch of cola. It, it's the kind that if you were a crossfading person, you would mix that with rum and bye bye. Really? Yeah, it would be. Ooh. And so it was good. It was really good. And then there are some. Um, there's one called Rickett. That's Rickett Brewing Company. Um, he was the guy who told me about the nano emulsion thing. They there's a couple brands who do this. They make a wine, or they buy a wine. They full on wine with alcohol in it use some sort of technological wizardry to re- completely remove the alcohol because you can't have a product that has alcohol and cannabis in it in the state of California. 
and uses the alcohol to make hands. Governor sanitizer. Newsom, come on now. Right? I mean, no, it's, the, uh, come on. Like we haven't, you, we have enough problems with. Uh, come on, let's just. But but the two cash crops of California. I think you should need to get a cross fading license. To be honest, to have is it that powerful? No, but just if you're doing it, if you're like, come on, we we have enough problems. Let's just. All right, you know, fine. So um, so they spin out the wine. They spin the wine. The alcohol out of the wine. Put the alcohol and make hand sanitizer out of the alcohol. Oh. And then take this thing that is a de-alcoholized Sauvignon Blanc, carbonate it. Uh-huh. Put in the nano-emulsified THC. So like the best grape juice ever. And it was, and he puts it in a in a bottle, uh, uh, an amber bottle from France <laughs> with a, I, I can show you that, I can show you what it looks like. Okay. And it is elegant. And, you know, you have to, it's got foil on the cap. So you take it off. It feels very much like a champagne. Um, and because it, the onset is 10 to 15 minutes, it's much closer to the feeling of having, and it, it actually got rave reviews. Mr. Shorn, this has been a pleasure. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I hope, I hope you did as well. I'm- I, I hope it also shout out to the LA times for, um, allowing you to have this beat. We'll call it that. Um, for treating it the way it should be treated, which is with respect and without any madness. Um, and um, I hope that uh, I hope that you get to do really, really fun things once it becomes federally legal. I, I am thankful every single day that I have that I have editors and coworkers that believe in if they don't believe in it, they believe in me talking about it in a way that destigmatizes it. And I feel like the luckiest man in the entire world. You just might be. Thank you, Adam. You're welcome. Thank you. How great was Adam? You know who we'd share a joint with even now? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, not sure how this is legal, but it's great, and we should celebrate it. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, and Robin Carey. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or on the Medium blog forever. You will also be given a number to denote how early you got in. For example, Angelino number one, Allie Miller. Two, George Wright. Three, Rita Joanne. Four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. Six, Rob Baker. Seven, Kev Chang. 8, Brenda Garcia, and 9, John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you're saving up for one of those fancy $300 pipes? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Post this episode on your Facebook. It'd be a little brave. Your friends would say, What? man listens to podcasts if you want to go crazy post too tweet something nice about this anytime you see me tweet about an episode retweet it it's free and for god's sake tell your friends tell them how here in la is spelled and it's on apple Podcasts and google and spotify and uh pocket casts and amazon 
Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who's put together 63 of these episodes and should be applauded, Mr. Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. I think I heard some new ones in there. Special thanks to Sydney for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and brave newspaper editors everywhere who are begrudgingly (laughs) uh, allowing the barely legal world of weed to be written about like it's no big deal. Live up to your promise, promise, Joe Biden! Biden. Biden.